So uh, someone uh, suggested I watch this uh, show on Netflix, and it's called Black Mirror. Anybody seen Black Mirror? Okay, so it's, it's weird. It's one of those shows that kind of leaves you with the creeps a little bit when you're done. Well, not when you're done watching it, but all the way through. Um, and, and, and I made it through episode one, if that tells you a little bit about, like, it's, it's, it's good, but it's a little like, ugh, kind of felt a little like cold sweats when I was done. So um, Bryce Dallas Howard, who plays Lacey, is the main character in this episode. And, um, and it starts out, and she's running through a neighborhood. She's scrolling through a phone, like, like you do, like, you know, this is normal. And, um, but you see pretty quickly, like in the first couple of minutes of the show, that uh, this world is dominated by social media. Weird, right? Like totally, like not like ours. Uh, but what's interesting is that it's not just that people are all scrolling. Like if you look and, I mean, that doesn't look like anything you wouldn't see in a Starbucks this afternoon, right? Everyone's going to be glued to their phones and, and I'm not going to go on some anti-social media like you know, tirade right now. But what I am going to say is this. You, you, you began to see this, the producers and the editors of this show would paint the picture for you of what this world was like because as Lacey is walking around, she's literally got her phone like, like this. And as she has interactions with people, she rates the interaction. And like somehow like in that world, it like, it like knows who she's in front of and like they're constantly. So all throughout the show, you hear this, because people are like literally rating every interaction with each other. What's worse is that, um, ev like, this is currency in this world. Like, money is not so much important as your rating. So, like, you have a rating of, like, one to five or so like that. So she starts out as, like, a 4.2. She's trying to get into this apartment that's, like, really posh and really, like, on the right side of town. And they say, like, well, you know, like, you got to have, like, a 4.5 if you want. So you got to bump up your social interactions. You've got to, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and you realize it's not, like, the down payment or the credit history. It's, like... You need more people to like have good. So she has moments like this at the cafe where she goes and she gets her coffee and uh, the barista is going to offer her like a, a free cookie. And, and I think he's just trying to like, you learn pretty quickly. Everyone is doing nice things to earn this rating. And it's really, it's, it is, it is so creepy because everyone's walking around with like smiles plastered on their face, like real plastic, like mannequin looking and like no one looks like a real human being. And, um, and so she's like, thank you for this cookie. And she's going to walk back and she's going, oh, like it's really, you know, whatever. She takes a bite of the cookie and like spits it out because it's apparently disgusting and places it next to her like macchiato. And then she pulls her phone out and like all of you white girls have done before. She posted on Instagram or whatever, and she's got the perfect picture. And you're like, who does that, right? Like, how embarrassing is it to go ahead and, like, schedule? Yeah, that's me too, apparently. <laughs> Don't you dare think that I didn't perfectly pose the laptop and the camera and the coffee. That was, two, that was so two years ago, guys. I'm so not like that anymore. <laughs> okay, we can take that down. It's a little embarrassing. Uh, so, so you've got this. Uh, you've got this. Uh, God, so distracted by my own embarrassment. Um, you've got this show, and, and all this stuff is happening, and you realize that when one bad thing happens to Lacey, and it's because of like some social media interaction or like a real life interaction that's been rated, her self image goes plummeting. And she starts to make these bad decisions, and she's got this opportunity to go to this wedding and give this speech, which a bunch of popular, like, beautiful people are going to that's going to bump her rating up if she does a good job. And by the end of the episode, spoiler alert, like, in, you know, whether you watch this or not, like, this, 
episode's called Nosedive. So just go ahead and do what you will with what you think happens. She ends up on this downward spiral because of things happening in this world. And here's what's interesting about this, and here's why it relates to today's story in 1 Kings. Because I don't think it's crazy to think that there's too much noise in this world. I mean, we're not so far to close to, to Black Mirror where we're literally looking at people and we see like dashboards of their social media ranking and we're, we're, we're close, but we're not there yet. But I do think that with all the notifications and with all the, the, the people spouting off, they're like, this is what your life should be about. This is what your life should be about. You can't say this. You can't do that that our life has a lot of noise. The notifications, the, the cultural kind of like acceptive things that we're supposed to do, um, our own busyness that we walk into, I don't think it's crazy to think that we have too much noise. And I, and I think about it this way, like because I'm a dad of three, and you can go ahead and judge me if you want to. Every once in a while, we're going to give our kids devices so that we can have a moment of quiet. We're going to do that at meals. And some of you are just like, mm, see, your kids are going to grow up and be just so stupid. Like, go ahead and judge me. We had a nice meal, okay? Like, and the kids weren't yapping at each other for a minute. Um, but the truth is, is that we'll give our, our, our phones over, and then, and then you try to have, like, a conversation. You're like, how was your day today? Or maybe there's no like devices at all and you're just sitting across the table like you're eating dinner and you're like how was school today good what'd you do oh no you know not like that's any different from what you did you know or maybe they're watching tv we've got this one one of our children who shall not be named but he's the oldest uh <laughs> he will man if there's something on tv he's like a bug to this like zapper like he can't have a conversation he can't physically impossible so like you'll be like right in his face and he'll he'll kind of like drift over this way you know and he'll start watching like you know whatever he's watching and uh and it's so frustrating to try to have a conversation with your kids and they ignore you and ignore you and ignore you and some of you are like I've got teenagers you don't need to tell me that story I know exactly what you're saying right and I wonder at what point is God trying to share some stuff with us, is trying to invite us into community and relationship with him, and we are distracted by the noise of this world. Now, this story is not just about noise or distraction. This story is about what happens when you start letting those things push you into a place, much like Lacey from Black Mirror, where she's going to end up a hot mess at the end of the episode. And not just a hot mess, but probably depressed and questioning some life choices, questioning her motivations and all that kind of stuff. Now, if you've lived any longer than like, you know, if you've gotten through middle school at this point in your life, you know what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to wish you could press rewind. You know what it's like to wish you had done something different or focused better or prepared better or whatever it is, but we've all gotten to the point in our, in our life where we've, we've wound ourselves up into this place that's unhealthy and we're like, how did I get here? And not only that, but like, I don't know how to get myself out. And 1 Kings 19 is going to do that. What's interesting about 1 Kings 19 is that it comes on the heels of like two massive victories. And, uh, and so the story starts in 17. In week one, we talked about this, how 
Elijah heard from God that there was going to be a drought. He goes to Ahab and says, hey, there's going to be a drought. It's going to be a long time. And then God says, run. So, so he goes to the brook called Kareth, um, and, and he's like, I'm going to feed you through this brook and through ravens that are going to bring you food, which just sounds disgusting to me. And, uh, and that's going to that's gonna be good for you. So just wait and hide because this king is going to have it out for you. He's not going to be happy with you. And then the brook runs dry, and Elijah's like, what do I do? And so he says, there's, a, there's a, a widow at Zarephath, and you need to go spend time with her, and she's going to feed you, she's going to take care of you. She had almost nothing. She was what we would call destitute, total, like below the poverty line, but God miraculously provided. So, so far, it's a win. It doesn't look like a win. It looks like suffering and punishment, but they're obeying, and God is providing. And then push forward into 18, and you've got this moment where Elijah is going to like get bowed up in front of all these prophets of, of the false gods, and he's going to say, listen, I'm about to prove to you that your God is false. We're going to put these two altars, we're going to put this altar out there, and we're going to cry out to our gods, and the, and the, the God that, that sets this altar on fire is, is the true God. And like Patrick said, and didn't Patrick do a good job last week, by the way? Can we just give him a hand? Super thankful for him stepping in. Loved it. Loved it. Um, I was back in the kids' ministry, but I listened on the podcast. And, and I just want to say, thank you, kids' workers, for what you do for our church. Because I did the kids' ministry one time, and I wanted to slice my eyes out. Um, super thankful for you guys. Um, so, so he's going to do this, this challenge, and, and God is going to obviously show off and show out. And Elijah's going to start you know, spouting off about like, God's the best and God's the only guide and, and you guys, and it's just gonna it's, gonna, it's like a huge win for the team. And then after that, Elijah's gonna pray for rain to come. Like it's been three years and six months since it rained and, and it, the economy is crashed and people are starving, thirsty, and probably dying at this point, right? Old school, like this isn't just like, oh man, like my lawn doesn't look very good. This is like, we don't have water to drink, right? And so he's going to pray, and he's going to pray seven times, and he's going to send his servant over to see the, the sea. And the servant's going to say, on the seventh time, he's going to see, see, like, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. It comes in on the land. It rains. Again, win after win after win after win. But Elijah's life is constantly kind of on this, like, edge where he's being tested. He's also... Uh, I don't want to speak into the word, but if I, ha- if I just had to guess, if I'm Elijah, he's stressed out. And so what's going to happen is in 1 uh, Kings 19, verses 1 through 3, you're going to see a whole new Elijah. We're going to pick up the story there right now. Ahab, the king, told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So what, what, I know that's weird language, but that is like gangster language for like, you took my people out and if I don't take you out, May God go ahead and kill me. So Elijah is, has just been given a death threat. And, uh, and after all this success, after all this, like, I can't see it, but I'm going to trust God's word. Elijah, out of nowhere, starts doubting, starts fearing. Now, I have studied this passage before. I have preached this passage before. 
but I have grown up a little bit since the last time that I preached this passage. And I'm seeing this passage in a more adult light, okay? Uh, here's what I think is going to happen. I think you're going to see Elijah on the edge for so long, and he's hitting his breaking point. You ever been there? Right? So maybe if you're a college student, this is finals week. And you're like, oh, I could have studied, but I went to go get pizza. I could have studied, but I went and played video games. I could have studied, but, you know, and... Uh, and this is, like, I just related, like, a death threat to playing video games in finals. I get, I get that, but track with me. This is, uh, this is, this is when you live in, in a certain mode of, like, life and death for so long that, that your emotions start to take a little bit of a, a toll on you. Um, I don't think it's crazy um, that Elijah had that happen. After all that success, he gets scared, and we're going to pick up the story in the next verse, verse 4. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He's depressed. He lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. So he looks, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came again a, a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. He arose and ate and drank, and in the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, he went to Horeb, the mount of God. Verse 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is God talking to Elijah. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken the covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed the prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. He's pouring his heart out to God. So here's what God says. Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by, a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then some of you have heard this passage. This is the, like the, the big famous verse. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper or a still small voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Behold, there came a voice to him and said the exact same thing. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14. He is going to recite the exact same thing over again. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, with the people of Israel, forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed the prophets with the sword. I, even I only, am left. It's like he recited this. It's like he's been thinking about this over and over and over. Put yourself in his position. Verse 15, and the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel, king over Syria, and then on and on. Here's what I think is going to happen. Here. This is how we're going to set it up, rather. We are going to talk about the contributing factors to Elijah ending up in what I would call a depression. In a season of sadness. In a season of, honestly, suicidal tendencies. He said, kill me now. Um, and then we're going to talk about God's response. Okay? So this is how we're going to set it up. First contributing factors. First of all, Elijah was in constant crisis mode. Constant crisis mode. Now, 
if you know what this is like uh, to worry about your finances, to worry about your health, to worry about your family, constantly, 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 you end up in a place where, where you can end up in a, in a state of unhealth. I think it can, literally what happens in your emotions, in your heart, can affect what happens in your body. This is what, what is happening to Elijah. He's in constant Christ's mode, right? He's, he's uh, proclaiming a drought is going to be there. He's being fed by a, uh, a brook. He's, the brook dries up, and he has to go to a widow, and he's having to trust in miracles for a long time. Like she has a handful of flour and a tiny little bit of oil in a jar, and that fed them for like weeks, maybe months. I don't exactly know, but it's a long time. It's not days, Okay. And, uh, and so they're, they're trusting in the Lord. And then after that, there's this big, like, adrenaline-pushing moment where the, the, the altar is lit on fire, and then they're slaughtering these false prophets. And then there's this prayer that God would bring back the rate. There's constant crisis mode. The second thing, Elijah was physically exhausted. Uh, throw out the idea of the drought. Throw out the idea of the the running and hiding and all that kind of stuff. Between uh, just this chapter, if you do the, the math, if you look at a map, he ran 80 miles away from Jezebel. That's three marathons. All of you people who run half marathons, I think, are crazy, right? I would like one day to run a 5K again. <laughs> he ran three marathons, right? He's, he's physically exhausted. He's tapped out from his past, and even in this moment, He's, he's physically exhausted. And, and you start to make some, some poor decisions when you're not healthily nourished. Three, Elijah isolated himself. You see in verse three that he left his servant there. He's all alone. We do some bad things when we are alone, when we're not in community. We were not created to do this life alone. By the way, that's why we're starting this small group. That's a huge part because we know that, like, Sunday we may leave encouraged and all this kind of stuff, but at the end of the day, like, maybe you get through your work day on Monday and you're just like, I want to, what in the world? Like, God, where are you? Kind of deal. We do small groups. We do life together. We don't do Lone Ranger community, Lone Ranger Christianity because that's really an oxymoron. That's, that's, not, uh, that's not possible. Like, there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. Um, fourth, Elijah blamed himself for being a failure. Uh, in verse four, he says, I am no better than my father's. I think that's a more telling statement than just like reading it in, in the Bible. I am no better than my father's. I think what he is saying in this moment is that for a long time, he had set a goal, like as a teenager. And I mean, put yourself in his shoes. Like every one of us have some sort of like hardship one way or the other. Maybe, maybe, um, Maybe your family broke up when you were young and you said, I will never do that to my, my family one day when I'm a kid. Maybe you were like, I was treated poorly. I will never do that. I was in a bad church situation that was abusive and, and hurtful. I will never do that again. I was in a bad situation with my job. When I'm the boss, I will never do that to my employees. Whatever the situation is, there's always this comparison mode. But then there's, you, you hit real life and I think what happens with Elijah, <clears throat> by the way, who here thinks Elijah's a failure? Like, if you've been walking through this series with us, he has only obeyed, only surrendered, only sacrificed, and he is, quote-unquote, winning every time, okay? But somehow, he perceives that he's failed, 
I am no better than my father's. Long time ago, he made a, a commitment. I'm never going to be like those guys. The guys who worshiped the golden calf at the bottom of the mountain when, when Moses came down with the ten never, never, ever. And for some reason, you realize that he is playing the comparison game, which is a trap, right? You're comparing your life to other people's, and you're like, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could go on a sweet vacation. I wish I could be like so-and-so. I wish I had those set of gifts. I wish I had that house or that car. And you play that comparison game, and it's a trap. It's a trap of the devil. Like, the devil is going to use those things. And I think it's so telling that Elijah was faithful, but he considered himself a failure. I love that this quote from Charles Stanley. It's not going to be on the screen, but I just thought of it. Um, he says, obey God and leave the results up to him. And I'm like, why can't I just get focused on that? Like, look in the mirror and just say, all right, who is God calling me to be? I'm going to go be that man, and I'm going to lay down, and I'm going to do it again tomorrow. But we don't. We get distracted. We start to take our eyes off Jesus and what he has for us. So these things are present in Elijah's life, and he, um, he gets to a place where he's burnt out, depressed. And I think if these are in your life, maybe, maybe you're already there. And listen, I... I am not going to uh, do a disservice to this conversation by saying these are the only reasons that people get depressed or these are the only reasons that people get suicidal and all this kind of stuff. What I am going to say is this. There are infinite reasons that someone can end up in a season of depression. And sometimes it's of our own doing. But sometimes it's not. And I am not going to stand up here and say one way or the other about anyone around me because I know what I have done in my own life, and I know how to account for that, but I would never stand up and say, if you're depressed today, it's probably your fault. Or if you're depressed today, that you probably don't have enough faith. Or if you're depressed today, that you're probably, you probably need to pray more and give more and serve more and all this kind of, like, I'm not going to try to manipulate you, but what I am going to do is I'm going to say this. God has given us a little bit of a story here that I think that we can apply, and, uh, and I, I, I'll tell a little story about how this applied to my life after we're done with the solution. But I want to hear from God's voice first before I kind of share my own story. Um, so, he says these things, right? He's in crisis mode. Um, he, feels like he's, um, he feels like he's a failure. He's a physically exhausted. And he's isolated himself. He's alone. So what does God do in this situation? What does God, how does God respond? So God, in verse 5, is going to start out with the first piece. And it's going, he's going to restore Elijah physically. This is not what I was expecting. This is not what I was expecting. I was, I was expecting God to come out with, throw all that other stuff away and just trust in me. But I find it incredibly interesting that God's first line of response, not his only line of response, but his first line of response is to restore him physically. What Elijah needed was a really good meal and a nap. And what I love about this is that my wife, who's super disciplined and super proud of her, has been doing the whole 30 all month long, and she ends it off this week. And uh, what I'm like is like, man, this guy's exhausted, and God baked him a cake. So like, take the whole 30 and toss it in the trash can. This is spiritual right here. <laughs> so he's going to bake him a cake. He's going to give him a water, and he's going to say rest. Um. 
I, I want to say this just really clearly. I, God gave us the principle of Sabbath for a reason. And, and he exemplified it in creation creating the world in six literal days and then resting on the seventh. Infinite power, infinite ability, and God exemplifies that. He's setting the example for us that we are going to need to rest, right? We are built for, for rhythms of rest. And when we ignore that, and I'm just going to go ahead and raise my hand. Like, I am the worst at this. I am the worst because what I'm good at is saying like, well, stuff's got to happen. I'll sleep when I retire. Right, stuff's got to happen. I'll catch up on exercise later. I got I to make stuff happen. Right, I, I will spend time with my family later. And here's all I know, is that we are built for rest, and you can, uh, you can take the advice or not. But like for those of us who, who think like, well, I can make more money if I work seven days a week. Well, Maybe taking a day off a week is cheaper than like a divorce attorney or like a counselor. <laughs> I think about, and I, I just thought about this, so I don't have the accurate stats, but if you go Google um, the stats on Chick-fil-A and how they take a day off every week, specifically for rest, that they make plenty of money. In fact, they do better than a lot of their competitors. Store for store, pound for pound, they do, they do really well. Because they have put a business on the principles of the, the rest. Not just the Bible, but just on the system that God built inside of us. A need for rhythm. So the executives at Chick-fil-A said, let's give them some family time. To which we all say, amen. Um, God didn't say, knock it off. He nurtured Elijah back to health. I, 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 think, I think that that's probably how I would have reacted like, come on, sissy, let's get up and go. Like, quit your crying and let's get moving. But if you've ever been in a season where you're depressed, you know how, like, helpful that is? <laughs> you just call me a sissy? Call me whatever you want. I'm going to stay in bed. Uh, God's solution was a good meal and a nap. The second thing, he helped Elijah face his fears. He helped Elijah face his fears. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And you got to know when God, who is infinite, not only in power and ability, but also in knowledge, God knows the hairs on your heads. God knows what, what, what you're doing when nobody looks. When he asks you a question, it's not so that like he gets to get the answer from you, right? Like he knows the answer. He is walking on a journey with you. He wants you to kind of speak. I think, listen, I think that sometimes prayer is a good discipline, not because God doesn't know what I want, not because I have to like, I don't know, I have to pray to be a good Christian, but because that is the time where I and the Father get close as like friends, as like a relationship to my God, my King, my Lord. That's where I like pour my heart out to Him. It's the days that I'm like, God, I really need like a parking spot and I need to raise and I need, I don't know, fix my family and fix my job and fix like, I've got all this stuff. Like, where are you? But it's the days where I like, I just stop and it's quiet, right? And you spend time with the Lord and you start pouring your heart out to him and then you end off and you're like, God, you got it. Why am I, why am I so freaked out? It's in those moments where God speaks rest into my own soul, hope into my own soul, speaks words of, of scripture into my own soul. 
Like those are moments that, that matter. So he's going to say, what are you doing here, Elijah? And the, the first time he's going to say, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. He's going to say all this kind of stuff. And then what God is going to say, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And God is going to speak to Elijah. And Elijah is going to go back. Catch this. Elijah's going to go out where he knows God has spoken before. He's going to go to Mount Horeb, which is the same place as Mount Sinai. This is going to be a very similar situation to stories of Moses seeing God, right? Like seeing the backside of him and, and the, the glory. He's, he's going to show Moses his glory. He's, going to, he's heard stories, the, the legends of what happened on Mount Sinai. And Elijah is going to go back to where he knows God has spoken before. If you're like me, and you get involved in the rat race, and you're like, oh, I gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. You gotta wake up, got the to-do list, you gotta go, 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 go. You gotta take care of your family, you got the job, you got the stuff, you know, you, you don't, I don't have time to, to, to take a rest. I've got, you know, and then you, you go to bed, you hit the pillow, you're exhausted, and none of your days were really, like, infused with purpose or, or, or God's, God's relationship with you. It was just like the rat race, and you do that over and over and over again. Let me just go ahead and tell you, the most helpful thing for me personally is to retreat. Your, your inbox is going to fill up. Okay? The job's not going to get done. Stuff is going to go missing. And the world is going to keep spinning without you. It's going to be okay. And you retreat. And you go back to a place where you have heard God speak before. You study scripture. You take a retreat. Maybe, maybe this is like, you know what? I, I've got to go rent a cabin in Hocking Hills, and I just need to stay there for like a good couple days. I just need to listen to the Lord. Maybe this is like a, maybe this is a group of friends that you haven't spent time with in a while. Maybe this is like a counselor. Maybe this is a mentor that you used to spend time with, that you've created distance with for whatever reason. Life gets busy, and you go sit, and you grab coffee, and you just say like, here's where I'm at. Can you just speak some hope into my life? For me, this is times, honestly, where I am away, uh, like at, Sometimes it's conferences. Sometimes it's vacations. There is, there is absolutely nothing like going on vacation. And I know what you're going to say. Like, I can't afford the vacation. I, I get it. I'll answer that in a minute. But there is nothing like, like if you're able to, to go like to the beach just for a little bit. And you stand like where the water is running up on your feet. And you just stare at this ocean. There is nothing that will calm your spirit like remembering how small you are. Right, how big God is, that this, is, this was just a dream in the mind of God, this big expanse of water. And you just start listening to creation, which then I think spurs on you listening to God. And I think there's moments where you've got to listen. And Elijah is going to, by God's direction, start listening. Uh, number three, God spoke to Elijah uh, he's going to speak not through the wind, not through the earthquake, not through the fire, but with the sound of a low whisper or with a still, small voice. I love this because it reminds me, let me just put it this way. There's two ways to look at this. You could be like, are you close enough to the Lord that like, you can hear his whisper? Here's what I would say <clears throat> on the other side of this conversation. God is near to you when you're brokenhearted. Psalm 34, 18 would say, God is near to the brokenhearted. But he is saving the ones who are crushed. 
He is the ones who are saving the crushed in spirit. And he's going to speak through the voice of a whisper, which can only be heard if you are near. And God is going to come up close to Elijah, and he's going to restore Elijah's like heart and brain connection to what he knows about God. He's going to remind Elijah who God is. Are those the moments? For me, like I start to take my eyes off God and I start to focus a little bit more on like what I can do and how I can make this world better and how like in my own strength and my own power, I can do this work. And God is going to speak in just a whisper and he's going to say, it was me the whole time. Slow down. Trust me. In a whisper. He's not screaming at Elijah. In this like relationship building tone, he's going to whisper. Four, God is reframing Elijah's situation. It's interesting that God is going to ask the same question and Elijah is going to answer it the exact same way. So it's totally repetitive, but the response to those two repetitive questions and repetitive answers are different. He's going to reframe. Verse 11, he said, Um, Oh, not, sorry, not verse 11. Verse, end of verse 13. What are you doing here, Elijah? He says again. Verse 14, Elijah's going to recite off. I've been very jealous, Lord, of God of hosts. I, only I am left. And then verse 15. It's interesting. He says, the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. If you, if you, if you look in verse 11, I know I'm jumping around, but you got to, like, you got to see this. In verse 11, after Elijah's recited, like, I, even I. He's going to say, go out and stand in the mount before the Lord. He's going to speak to him. He's going to restore him with, like, words of encouragement and hopes to fill up Elijah. And then the response is going to be, go return your way to the wilderness. God does not send him back to the wilderness until he has filled him back up. Guys, that's good news. Like, this is God speaking hope into us and reminding us of our purpose and all that kind of stuff, and then sending him out. Where I would be like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Come on, let's go. We've got a mission. We've got to go. And God is not like that. And thankfully so. Go return on your way to the wilderness. You shall anoint Hazael to be king over Israel. Uh, sorry, Syria. Jehu to be king over Israel. And then you're going to essentially disciple Elisha to be the next prophet to take your place. So that brings me to my fifth point. That God is going to restore Elijah's purpose. He's going to remind him what the whole purpose is. Go get involved in serving. Go get involved in other people's lives. Like, if you're in a season of depression, like, getting involved in other people's lives is like the last thing that you want to do or that you should be doing. So let me go ahead and just share this with you. Um, Because I'm the guy for 33 years of my life that essentially watched other people talk about depression and I thought, this world's not so bad. I don't know what you're crying about. Can I just be real? Like, and I, I would never say that and I, I don't necessarily think that. But for the most part, if you've never hit a season of like sadness where the way I'm, I'm going to describe it, what happened to me last summer uh, was that a dark cloud parked over my head and then I just, I... There was nothing in my power I could do to get that cloud off of my life. I was just in a season of sadness and depression, and I I felt like I had lost my own purpose and all that stuff. If you don't know the story about our church, I'll tell it really quickly because I know that we're kind of wrapping up on time. But we hit a season of our church where we were burning out our volunteers. 
you know, we, we, we weren't seeing this kind of like results and stuff like this, this kinds of fruit, like this kind of excitement and energy and all that kind of stuff. We got down to a place where our church was running 20 people and, and five of those were me and my wife and our three boys. So 15, right? And uh, there was a, we, we were setting up all of this stuff for like a couple people to watch some kids back there and people to be up here singing songs and essentially like a couple chairs, like a couple chairs. And I think there, we got to a point where we're like, why don't we just do this with no setup in a living room? Like that would be, rather than doing all of this and um, through a lot of different situations, we decided to uh, step back from having access church. I remember Diane went on a vacation. Uh, Diane's been with us since the beginning and Diane, she went on vacation and when, when she came back, there was no access church. Like she like, what? And so this year she says, a month ago, I'm going on vacation. <laughs> you better not change the locks when I get home. You know, like, I, there better be access when I get back. And, and, amen, and, back. and amen, she's back, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so we stepped back and here's all I remember. We had our last service in, in my living room because our trailer had gotten hit by, by someone, and so we had our last service in our living room, and, and I kind of shared the direction that I was going to be stepping into a church planting residency to kind of re, reevaluate and all this kind of stuff. I was also going to be uh, asking some people from Covenant, some of you in the crowd from Covenant, uh, are, have taken the brave steps from moving from a church that is fully functioning and all that stuff to, to taking part in God's mission and building a church in a city that desperately needs uh, Jesus and and so um, we stepped back. And I remember on Sunday, Sunday was emotional. It was hard. I remember specifically, like, and, and, a, and a family that has, has joined another church and all that kind of stuff, they have a daughter. They have a daughter that loved her, her teacher back in the kids' ministry building. And when we broke the news to this little girl, she was crying and said, but Axis Church is my favorite place to be, and she's my favorite teacher. And I remember thinking, like, what in the world have we done? What? And I remember thinking, like, I just need to get through this. So I, I wake up Monday, I'm just kind of spending some time with my family or whatever, and I have some time where I'm just relaxing, and, and all of a sudden, I don't know how to describe it, I wasn't expecting it, I've never had this happen in my life, but about five, six days later, just a metaphorical cloud parked over my life, and I found myself wanting to quit, not understanding why God didn't fulfill his promises, not understanding why all this didn't work. And, uh, and this wasn't a story that I wanted to tell. Had all the vision in my heart for a church that, that would reach the, this city and that would plant other churches and that would disciple people, that would worship the king with people all over coming to know Jesus. And, and, and what I was seeing with my eyes was this thing that we had to shut down. I remember I had conversations with guys like Hayden and Hayden was not happy about it. Hayden was saying like, I just feel like, we failed. And it was hard for a minute. It was hard. And for about six weeks, I didn't know what to do. I had no hope. I had a couple people in my life who were calling me and making sure that I was, like, like that's when you know that you have good friends when they're calling you. And I, I have a friend back in Arkansas, and we were FaceTiming, and uh, <laughs> He's one of those friends that can make fun of you, and it's like, okay. And he goes, dude, you look rough. And I was like, thanks a lot. Right? And he knew exactly what I was going through. And uh, all I know, all I know is that what my friends 
Um, my, one of my good friends, Pastor Travis Davenport, invited me into uh, a season of fasting and prayer and asking God to restore us. It took time. It just took time. I wish I could tell you it was overnight. Not even close. Those of you that have experienced seasons of depression, you know. It's not an overnight thing. It's not a, maybe next week it'll be better. These things take time. So what, what I needed in that moment was for God to restore me. For God to whisper in my ear who he is. That's what I needed. I didn't need to know, like, you can do better next time. Right? I blamed myself as a failure. I had, I, I, I had accepted too much responsibility. I had felt like I was a failure, that the, that, that the weight of everything was on my shoulders. And here's all I know is that God had to sit me down and just say, you've kind of gotten off track a little bit in your mind with who I am and in who you are in relation to who I am. Like, I will build my church. You quoted that every single Sunday, but somehow you've forgotten it practically. You've gone walking on this path where you look in the mirror and you call yourself a failure. He says, what if this is my plan? And I'm like, this is not the plan I wanted to walk out, God. Like, this is like, it looks to our community like we're, we're failing and that's a hard story to tell. You know, you're telling people that you're Christians. Not only that you're Christians, that you're church planners. Not only that you're church planners, that you're Southern Baptist church planners. <gasps> like we literally had someone like gasp when we said we're Southern Baptists. And then, and then you step back and what does it look like? Well, I mean, what does it look like? This, this world loves like gotcha moments in 140 characters or less. Like, see, that's what I thought. It felt like failure. But God had a better story. This is not the story that I wanted to tell. And I don't think this is the story that Elijah wanted to tell. I don't think Elijah, like, looking back, you know, you're going to see Elijah in heaven, and you're going to see him, and you're going to say, man, what, what happened? He's like, I don't know. Like, my friends kept telling me, man, you're doing a good job. You're doing, like, you're following God. Like, God is coming through. And all of a sudden, I just, I was tired. I was exhausted. I was emotionally tapped out. So here's what I want to say. There's all kinds of next steps for you guys today. I don't know where you are. The band can go ahead and come on up for a response time. But I, I don't know where you are. And I don't know what it is that you need today. But I guarantee there's people in this room that are struggling. As we met, honestly, in the, in the library, we do this kind of pre-game meeting with, with, the, with kind of the setup team and the, and the volunteers in the back. And we are praying and I felt like God laid it on my heart like, it's not just the people that come in and sit in the seats. Like, there's all kinds of people on our team that are walking through seasons of struggle. And so here's what I want to say. Don't let today pass without just crying out to God. I believe God has a word of hope for you today. I believe that God wants to restore you to who he's created you to be. His promises in Scripture. Like, there's times in my life where I felt like I was alone and that God was nowhere. Like, I was praying and God is, like, silent. And even though I can't hear that, like, still small voice, I read Scripture and it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I've got to, I've got to bank on that promise. You've got to bank on that promise today. So whatever it is that you're walking through, whatever the fears and struggles or the doubts that you're walking through, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That's a promise. I have banked my life on that promise. And I'm begging you to do the same. 
I'm urging you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus today. If you're walking out this road in this life that's honestly, I don't know how people do it without the, the love of Jesus equipping us and sending us and, and bearing us up and, and, and supporting us day in and day out. Like if you are doing this life on your own, maybe the next step today is to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time from here on forever. I am yours, God. Maybe you're the kind of person that tends to isolate yourself. Like there's fight or flight. Like I'm a flight guy. Like I tend to sit in a dark room and just just be quiet by myself, right? But the truth is that sometimes what we need is someone to speak a word of hope and encouragement out of scripture to us. Small group, this Wednesday night, you gotta be there, 6.30. I'm begging you for your own health and your own relationship with God. Be there at small group. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. Don't do this on your own. Wherever you are in this world, if you're, if you're struggling, this moment is for you. So we're going to stand. And uh, why don't we just close our eyes to give, give, give each other some privacy. Give ourselves a moment of, of just a space to make a decision. But I want to ask you, if you're one of those people with all eyes closed, if you're one of those people that says, I've been doing life on my own, and I found it to be hopeless. I'm doing life on my own and I found that I am not, I am not God and I need God desperately. I, I know that I have sin. I know that I need a savior. If you're in this room and you're feeling that you need to surrender to Jesus today, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to make a bold decision to slip up your hand. No one's looking. Make, this moment is for you. It's between you and God. But if you surrender to God right now, what you're saying is I am not enough <laughs> to save myself. I do have sin. I need a savior. You sent your son to die. I need that. In just a moment, if you would slip up your hand and say, I need Jesus today. One, two, three. No one's looking. Slip up your hand. I need Jesus today. Amen. Amen. Maybe you're the person that's, maybe you're a Christian and you're just like, I, I've kind of I've lost my way a little bit. I've, I've let the world and all the noise and all the notifications distract me. And, and you just need some space just to reconnect. But you, but you know that you're going to have to walk this out with God. Would you just slip up your hand and say, I need, to, I need to set my eyes back on Jesus. Slip up your hand if that's you. I'm a Christian. I need to set my eyes back on Jesus. I need to hear his voice and not the voice of this world, of all the notifications, the distractions. Amen. You can put your hands down. Whatever it is, um, I and a couple guys in the back on our prayer team are going to be there for you. While this song is playing, if you would like to make a decision, if you would like to just have someone pray for you, we'll be back there, myself and a couple other guys in the prayer team. If you just need to open up your arms wide, to Jesus. This is your space. So whatever it is, these next four or five minutes, these are for you.